Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And thank you so much for joining us this week for episode 331. Uh, the theme of this week's show is the new abnormal. And we brought up this term and started using it uh, a couple of weeks ago on the UK column. I, I broadcast on Fridays with Mike Robinson, uh, UKcolumn.org. That goes out live at 1 p.m. London time or UK time. Uh, so that's early in the morning uh, in the U.S., but it's available on YouTube afterwards, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But I broadcast on Friday, and we, we got tired of calling this the new normal, uh, using this term that's been foisted upon the public. And so we sort of tweaked it a bit and called it the new abnormal. So hence, this is the theme of today's show, because everything is extremely abnormal right now. I mean, who, who could have thought? Who could have thought? Imagine, you know, looking at just on the U.S. political side, uh, you know, for those people that are um, horrified and appalled constantly around the clock by Donald Trump, uh, there's a, a, a sizable contingency out there uh, that that's their main modus operandi. But look at Joe Biden. He's running around in a black mask wearing black aviator sunglasses and he only appears on TV once in a while. He hasn't had a press conference yet. Uh, it's just bizarre. He's supposed to be running for president. And I'm looking at the polls, and all the polls are saying that Joe Biden is leading Donald Trump. I have a hard time believing that. I wonder if they're uh, aware that they made that same mistake last time in the 2016 election. But nonetheless, uh, the U.S. political scene is just weird as ever. Of course, the reason everything is ultra weird is because of covid uh, because of the coronavirus. That's the backdrop of everything. Uh, so that makes every, everything extremely um, more, more divisive. It makes it uh, more strange, more unusual, um, the, the unusual circumstances, unlikely circumstances. We wouldn't have seen the protests that we saw uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident, if not for COVID-19, if not for coronavirus. Everybody's having a hard time keeping their head together. And you can say no one more than the angry mobs that are marauding through various uh, U.S. cities right now. I saw the protests in Portland. I was watching some footage of that. And I, it, it just, I don't know, I've seen so much footage, especially in Portland. I mean, they always seem to burn Portland down or attempt to burn it to the ground every few years. And the city officials uh, have no problem. They just sort of stand back, let it happen. The police are have a more or less a laissez-faire attitude in Portland. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to own a business downtown there, but with these periodical flare-ups. But then it, it just dawned on me, and I asked, I thought, what what do they want exactly? What exactly do the protesters want? They say they want racial justice, but then you look out on the on the streets, and you don't see very many black people. It's all kind of uh, anar white anarchists, uh, university students, dropouts, uh, you know, a, a whole strange congregation of, of people. And they don't have any specific demands. They just want justice. They just want racial justice, social justice. What exactly does that look like? And, and few in the media are asking that question you have CNN and MSNBC and 
all the majors are basically doing what they normally do, which is they sort of encourage, they give it lots of coverage and they sort of encourage these uh, things to sort of keep going because everybody wants to turn on their TV and see something, you know, building on fire. This is ratings. You have an event, you have a crisis, you have an emergency. So as COVID was dying down, boom, came George Floyd. And so the media r- rode that juggernaut for a couple of weeks now. And it's it's hard to know what, what exactly they want. Then Black Lives Matter now has melted into Gay Pride Month. So there's a whole month dedicated to gay pride. Now, in London, they the, the, the gay pride march they normally have, they... They ceded it to Black Lives Matter. They get, they handed it over, saying, we're not going to march this year. We'll give it to you. So the Black Lives Matter movement, the the, the, the UK branch, uh, changed it to Black Trans Lives Matter. So Black Transsexual Lives Matter, or you know, trans women, trans men. Um, and so they marched in the, in the thousands through downtown London uh, just yesterday or the day before, I think, yesterday. And... It was a bit strange. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. It's it's getting it's getting more bizarre by the minute. So I, I wasn't aware that many black trans people were being, you know, killed by cops or anything like that. So I don't know what exactly what the you know purpose of that was. Maybe they wanted to be they want more recognition, but there's not that many of them. That's the problem. I mean, how many black trans people are there? in the country uh, or, you know, in, in the world. Probably not that many if you, if you sort of add them up. Uh, it's not really a significant minority. But yet, this is what we're facing right now in terms of the uh, strange political landscape right now. Everything is just ad hoc. So we have pop-up religions. We have pop-up protests. Uh, we have pop-up cults. And a lot of the attributes of this does resemble a cult. And there's people waving their finger at other people saying, you have white privilege, or you're a racist, you know, flinging this term racism around so casually uh, without any thought and without much real thought to what people are, are, are actually doing. And condemning, uh, I've seen people condemned for the sins of their forefathers, literally members of their family. Um, people are being targeted because they're related to somebody that supposedly had some connection with slavery, for instance. And so there's a lot of noise being made. And I've also seen, you know, white university uh, activists or uh, liberal activists uh, shouting at black cops, uh, saying that, um, that, you know, they're not allowed to talk about this uh, issue uh, and a white cop was trying to calm down this one protester. I saw this footage. Uh, I think it was in Washington, D.C. And it turns out that cop was married to a black woman. Uh, but she and this this uppity uh, social justice uh, third wave feminist, I'm not sure what she was, but she was demanding to see proof that he was married to a black woman. So it, it it's just a strange, I don't know, uh, it, it seems like it's, all bets are off, you know, no limits in terms of attacking the police, uh, attacking passers-by, trashing cars, burning buildings, uh, spray-painting graffiti. On uh, the, the Black Trans Lives Matter march stormed through London, and they 
past the Houses of Parliament and on the gold plate on the uh, post outside of the Houses of Parliament, it, it, they put an X over Parliament and said racist. So it says Houses of Racist now. Now, if you look at the Houses of Parliament, there are black people serving in Parliament. There are Asians. There are uh, Arabs, uh, people, Muslims, lots of different types of people, women, men, that serve in Parliament, elected representatives. So how could it be a racist institution or a racist body? It's clearly well represented right up to the ministerial level. So, so there's not a lot of thought going on with this. And uh, Princeton University, one of the Ivy League schools in America, uh, has just announced it's going to remove the name of former President Woodrow Wilson. They're going to remove his name from the public policy school. It's a famous public policy school. A lot of scholars have come through that uh, institution over the, over the decades, over the century. And also there's a residential college. They're going to remove his name from that too. And I'm not sure quite why, uh, but apparently there, there, there's accusations that he uh, was not, not a racist. It's just strange. It's, the definition just keeps getting more elastic. The accusations, uh, they're not ending with, with racism, for instance. They're going a bit further. And so they're, the, the, just, the justification for this is very difficult to, to work out to put it lightly. Uh, and so I'm not sure. I guess he segregated the federal civil service after it had been racially integrated for decades there, thereby taking America backwards in the pursuit of justice. He not only acquiesced, but he added the persistence practice of racism in this country, a practice that continues to do harm today. Um, that last part of that statement here, I'm quoting from an article uh, from CNN, of all places. That last part of the statement continues to harm people today. But those policies don't exist today. In fact, there's there's positive discrimination policies in place. Affirmative action, we talked about on this show before. So this none of this makes sense. Uh, students in Wisconsin want to have the uh, statue of Abraham Lincoln removed. Now, that's somewhat puzzling, but not surprising, seeing that uh, they went for the statue of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, who was the general of the Union Army who defeated slavery, you could say, historically. Uh, they're, they're going for Abraham Lincoln for some reason in Wisconsin, and they're saying that uh, he was anti-black, basically, is what they're, they're, they're saying there. Now, that's about the most ridiculous thing you could imagine. But this is what passes, and, and this is what we said earlier on this show, that if you, if you acquiesce to the mob, and the general rule is the bigger the mob grows, the dumber the mob becomes. There's no intelligence that can be gleaned by the mob from increasing in size. It's quite the opposite, in fact. The mob gets dumber. Uh, Their targeting gets more arbitrary. Their rationales become more convoluted the bigger they get. People just run out and they just do whatever they want because they feel they have some power behind them. And if city officials are standing down, police are standing down um, and acquiescing to the mob, this is what you're going to get. There's going to be a lot more collateral damage 
from this mob than people realize. We saw this from the very beginning, but of course you just have to look at history to see what direction this is going in. And it's not really about racism at the end of the day. It's quite clear this is about political power, the, the seizing political power, firstly, and then accumulating political capital and then trying to use that. Now, this is literally what's going on with regards to Black Lives Matter. They have uh, accumulated quite a war chest of money uh, since on, on the back of George Floyd's death. And we also pointed out, we asked the question in previous programs, of course, we're echoing some of the leading African-American scholars in the country who have asked the same question, which was, where is the evidence that the death of George Floyd was racially motivated just by mere fact that uh, he was black, that he was a victim, that automatically means there was racial motivation. No evidence has been presented to say that he, there was racial motivation. And I don't know if there is any evidence. I'm, I'm certainly, we, we would have had a hint of it by now, but we haven't. So if something turns up, a KKK robe in his closet of Derek Chauvin or something or rather, he was, uh, you know, a few David Duke DVDs uh, were found, uh, you know, below his television at home, whatever the case is, or he posted on Stormfront or something like that. I'm sure if there's anything, it will be dredged up, but it's amazing nothing has been produced yet. So that means that more likely, it seems to me anyway, and many others, uh, that there probably wasn't any racial motivation involved uh, with the death of George Floyd. And the mob will, will push back on that and say, well... Even if there's not evidence, there's, there's systemic racism, systemic racism. Uh, the police are systemically racist in America, so therefore there was racism involved. The mere fact that the police are systemically racist uh, and George Floyd died, he's a black man, therefore, case closed. You can't argue with us. And by the way, uh, we're going to burn down your house if you don't agree with us. So that, that's kind of the, the way the conversation is running now. Or we're going to shout and shout and shout and get in your face, trash your car, uh, hound you on the street, whatever, if you don't agree with us. But still, there's no evidence. All this talk of you know, genocide in America and this history of slavery, but th this doesn't answer the question. When you go to court, they're going to have to produce evidence for any hate crime charge to stick. I'm sure he'll get uh, his due his due process regarding the uh, an unlawful killing, third degree, second degree, manslaughter, murder, whatever. That's a technical issue. That will be uh, fleshed out in the court of law. But so would any accusations of racial motivation. So that raises a lot of important questions, uh, which is what is the, the, the premise of all this? Well, Black Lives Matter Thanks to the oligarchs in Silicon Valley, I think uh, uh, Google has, Apple's thrown in $100 million, I think, into the war chest of Black Lives Matter, this organization. Uh, I think Google's thrown in $40 million or something like the Facebook, maybe the same, someone else, Twitter, a bunch of corporations. Uh, the total war chest, overnight, they, they, they took in probably somewhere upwards of $200 million, really, in the last couple of weeks 
from mainly from Silicon Valley. Walmart chucked in 10 million or something. I don't know, maybe more, 40 million, something like that. So, I mean, yeah, 200 million plus, possibly. So what are they going to do with all that money? And, of course, they're getting money from various George Soros uh, foundations, and they'll keep getting money because the political left in America, the Demo- ostensibly the Democratic Party, has now, now has uh, a kind of sharp vanguard tip of the spear in, in Black Lives Matter that they can deploy and they can use at will, especially during an election cycle. And that's where we're at right now. We're in an election cycle. We're uh, four months away from a presidential election. If it, if it, if it indeed happens, it could be delayed or uh, a coronavirus spike could happen and then there could be mass hysteria and then they'll delay the election or something might happen. Who knows? But you know, expect the unexpected uh, in these strange times. So Black Lives Matter has this massive war chest. So they're going to be around for a long time. They'll be around forever. So they'll be in there with the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, the, you know, all, all these organizations uh, that basically trade off uh, social and racial division. That's their sole purpose, and that's how, that's how they raise money. And they themselves uh, become a, not just a defensive organization, uh, foundation, or NGO, they become offensive. They are out attacking people. And certainly we've seen this is what the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ADL have been doing, drawing up hate lists, uh, creating whole labels and slapping labels on people, calling them right-wing or calling them this or that. So anti-Semitic, for instance. We saw what that did to British politics over the last uh, couple of years. It absolutely destroyed any viable opposition to the current Tory government using uh, the anti-Semitic label to take down uh, labor leader Jeremy Corbyn, even though there was never any evidence that uh, he or any of his uh, cohorts in labor were anti-Semitic. It was literally dreamt up out of thin air by these same organizations and pushed by allies uh, in the the Israeli embassy in London and, and lobbyist groups and so forth. So, so that's what we have to look forward to there. And so it's very interesting. So you have mobs out baiting the police. They're, they're, I've seen enough incidents and altercations and confrontations, literally baiting the police and hoping they react with violence. And in most cases, the police aren't taking the bait. Uh, of course, there were clashes early on, but now because of the way that the Overton window has shifted temporarily. Uh, police are very cognizant of the fact that everybody's filming everything. Um, so the protesters are, are baiting people. They're baiting police. Uh, they're basically doing what they want, taking over parts of cities uh, in the case of Seattle. And so what, what does this lead to? Uh, it leads to a breakdown in law and order. And... Uh, a lot of these same protesters, they're going to be uh, faced with some of the same issues that anybody is faced with uh, when there's a breakdown in law and order. These people who want to defund the police, trust me, they're the first pe- person who's going to call 911 if they feel threatened or if you know someone breaks into their property. They'll be begging the police to come and do something. Okay, 
So that's why they call them the thin blue line. Uh, so police are the police perfect? Of course not. But, you know, who is perfect? It's a very difficult job. Uh, even under good condi- uh, good conditions, it's a difficult job. So, so that's where it's headed now. I don't see it getting any better. I, th- I see this really ramping up in the next four months. It's going to get really ugly, I think, in the run-up to the election. There will be confrontations at the polling stations uh, for those places that are showing up in person to vote. They'll try all sorts of tricks. I can't imagine how and why, uh, but it will be states, governors, lockdown orders. Who knows what's coming? The coronavirus has opened up a whole window of possibilities there. So I, I was sent a piece by a writer, very good, a good journalist, good good writer, sent me a piece recently on on the U.S. It was it was reacting to the George Floyd thing, and uh, and it was it was you know, there was a lot of histrionics in it. I I couldn't I couldn't publish it because it was just a, a massive nasty rant against the United States, its history, and uh, just rubbishing everybody from from the beginning of the country right to the present, and. I, I, I thought I read this and I thought, wow, the country's tearing itself apart, and everybody is just dying to get in on the pile. And I couldn't publish it. And the reason I couldn't publish it, a, I don't, I don't think it was written with enough consideration of or historical perspective. Uh, it definitely wasn't balanced, and didn't offer any counter arguments. It was just an attack piece, and. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing this right now, and they're getting in on it, especially people outside of the U.S. Um, we commented on this before. Everybody's an expert on American affairs. Even people who, you know, don't go to America, haven't been there, or don't go there very often, but but believe that they understand it by by virtue of media. Um, that's a problem. So the this conversation isn't going to get any better. Uh, the so- social media platforms, they're monopolized, but they, they're platforms for a global conversation. This can be very useful uh, in terms of things like you know, stopping uh, wars, things like that. It can be very helpful, these ubiquitous international platforms. But for internal national issues uh, in some countries, um, they can be hugely problematic. They can be very divisive. They can create... Uh, you know, f- waves of of uh, consensus building that a lot of it isn't, in, especially in terms of local elections. A lot of that wave that's coming is is not even from uh, inside the country, so it distorts the conversation uh, a lot of the time. And so that's that that that's a that can go in your favor. You can also use that offensively against other countries. This is what the U.S. have accused Russia of doing uh, since 2016, although no proof has ever been presented uh, that uh, Trump was colluding with Putin uh, to gain power in the White House, a ridiculous conspiracy theory known as Russiagate. Um, but it's, it's nonetheless, it's a very real phenomenon. And so this is... This is a definitely a different game that we're looking at now that we're living in than we were 10 years ago. And you have to acknowledge that.
You have to acknowledge that's a reality. So these waves of hate or scorn or outrage, um, they're global. It's like it's, it's, it's a cloud. It's an amoeba that moves globally in the virtual space. And, and again, the same rule applies with protest mobs. The bigger the mob, the dumber the mob. And so the bigger the blob, when I say blob, I'm talking about that virtual cloud of outrage, which is international. There's people in Australia who are, you know, uh, profess to be experts of U.S. politics. There's, there's hundreds of them and whatever country, India. So the bigger the blob, the dumber the blob. Blobs don't get smarter the bigger they get. They get dumber, same like mobs. The bigger the mob, the dumber the mob. So while America is tearing itself apart, uh, a new Russia conspiracy theory has, has been floated out during the election year. This is a beauty. Uh, the New York Times uh, asserts that uh, Putin was paying bounties to the Taliban to take out U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. Uh, cash rewards per head to shoot U.S. soldiers. So this is uh, exclusive by the uh, New York Times, Charlie Savage, and somebody else co-authored it. And I was reading through this, I was looking for the, for the meat, really. It's like the old lady in the Wendy's ad, where's the beef? looking for the beef in this and I saw lots of I saw the bun I saw the the lettuce the tomato lots of sizzle uh, but I'm, I'm I was looking and I was reading and I couldn't find the beef but I did find that uh, where did this story come from where did it came from uh, US intelligence sources say so sources say intelligence sources say, unnamed intelligence sources say we've heard all this before it's funny, this gag has failed so many times in the past, but they're, they're, here they are doing it again. So let, let's look at the, uh, the, this is Rachel Maddow. She's the uh, queen of MSNBC. She's the head of the Trump resistance. She's pushing Russiagate for three years and completely failed. Ratings tanked, everything. People were just tired of it. Anyway, she's, she's, she's latched onto this story. And uh, here's her little performance uh, from last night. Uh, go ahead and roll this uh, Maddow clip here. If this Times report is correct, this means that U.S. intelligence has concluded that Vladimir Putin is offering bounties for the scalps of American soldiers in Afghanistan. Not only offering, offering money to people who kill Americans, but some of the bounties that Putin has offered have been collected meaning the Russians at least believe that their offering cash to kill Americans has actually worked to get some Americans killed. The Russians at least believe, if these bounties have been paid out, that the people to whom they have offered this money have successfully gone out and killed American soldiers because of it, and the Russians have therefore paid for that service. And President Trump was told about this in March, and he has done nothing, nothing about it. He was given, what did they describe it as? A menu, a menu of possible responses. And so far he has chosen off the menu that he'll have none of it. Thank you. He'll do nothing. <laughs> so, so, so Rachel Maddow, I mean, these people are paid insane amounts of money <clears throat> basically to lie every day. Um, that's, that's what they do. I mean, you have to pay people millions to lie to millions of people and tart it up and get literally fed stuff 
from unnamed intelligence sources. So, so you notice how she said, if this report is correct, right at the beginning. So even she or her producers knew uh, that this is completely unconfirmed. But it's a spectacle. It, it's gone out in the headlines. It's been pumped out there. If it's correct. If these bounties were paid out, she said, if, 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 says unknown intelligence sources. There's nothing there. This is a completely hollow story. And see how they set up the uh, the progression on this to kind of validate it. And most people who hear this story, read about it, if they hate Trump, they're going to believe this story lock, stock, and barrel. If they're a Democrat, registered Democrat, and they're, they're voting blue down the line, they'll believe this. If they believe that the Russians hacked the 2016 elections or whatever, they're not even going to question this story. They, they're definitely not going to read it. They see the headline, they already know what it is. So, but they create the fiction. The, the fictional story is created. It's taken by the intelligence services. It's laundered through a couple of offices in Langley. And from one department, you get it stamped twice. And it'll end up on the presidential briefing. So Donald Trump gets these briefings every, every day, every week, uh, various coded briefings. And this one will be a, a report here. Uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, very disturbing report here. Uh, this is coming out of the Department of X, Y, and Z in Langley. And uh, it seems that Putin was paying bounties uh, to have our boys uh, shot in Afghanistan. It's very shocking. Uh, and you know, there's, they, we believe, uh, we're, well, it's highly likely and we have a high degree of confidence that uh, those bounties were paid, Mr. President. So it's a very serious matter indeed. Uh, here, Mr. President, is a, a menu of options uh, that we believe are prudent uh, in terms of uh, reciprocity and retaliation uh, for this uh, grave act against our uh, soldiers uh, in Afghanistan. So we're, we're recommending option three and four. But uh, again, it's your prerogative, Mr. President. There, we're just going to slide that across the table. Now, Donald Trump has seen fake intelligence from these same agencies ending up in briefings for the last th four years. Okay, so uh, clearly the president's not going to act on every report coming out of the CIA. And then you're probably asking, why is this happening now? Well, let, let's let's listen to the next clip. This is the, the masters of fake news. The masters of propaganda, the holy temple of fake news is CNN. And here, here was what they drifted out this weekend. This is a beauty. Uh, listen to this. This is Anna Cabrera, who's the kind of weekend bombshell anchor, and Nick Peyton Walsh, double-barreled name, British, uh, the British plant at CNN. Go ahead and roll this, this CNN clip. Breaking news, we're learning more about a Russian plot to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Let's get straight to CNN's Nick Peyton Walsh in London. Nick, what are you learning? Uh, extraordinary developments here. A European intelligence official is telling me uh, that they are aware that Russian intelligence officials offered cash incentives to Taliban militants in Afghanistan, the people who the U.S. has been fighting along other nations uh, for many years now, to kill U.S. or U.K. troops uh, recently. Now, this European intelligence official is not clear as the precise motivation behind the Russian intelligence offer, and it's uh, also not clear precisely when 
this happen, but it is clear in their assessment it did result in coalition casualties. Now, it's not clear if that's deaths or injuries, but it is quite startling to hear this sort of accusation levelled. I should go on to say the European intelligence official says, quote, this callous approach by the GRU, the Russian military intelligence arm accused of uh, offering these cash incentives, uh, is startling and reprehensible. Their motivation is bewildering. Now, I should point out, too, that this uh, European intelligence official says that actually a precise unit in the GRU, the Russian military intelligence, known as 29155, is apparently behind these cash incentives. This same unit was behind the poisoning of the Skripal father and daughter in Salisbury a couple of years ago, yes. almost now, and also other alleged prominent attacks in Europe. I should point out the Taliban has denied anything to do with this uh, alleged offer, saying they don't need foreigners to tell them how to conduct uh, their jihad. And also, too, the Russian embassy in Washington uh, has called this uh, part of a hashtag blame Russia campaign and denied it fully as well. The White House press Secretary uh, Kayleigh McKinley has in fact just come out with a statement saying while she hasn't really denied the precise reports and the intelligence itself, she said that the New York Times, who first reported this story, citing uh, US officials mostly, that they were inaccurate suggests that mm -hmm. President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence had in fact been briefed on it. But startling revelations here about Afghanistan. Yeah, startling, startling, Nick, startling. So Nick Payton Walsh, okay, is one of the top propagandists at CNN. His job is war. He's promoting war, starting war, uh, creating stories to, you know, create secu new security measures or you know, slap sanctions on a country. He, he's, he's the kind of, for the American audience, I said this long time ago, used to play some of their propaganda a few years ago, but Americans like a British voice. For, for an American audience, especially a liberal audience, the British voice says authority, intelligence, um, it adds that little extra touch uh, to the news report. And so CNN uses Nick Payton Walsh for all these types of stories to give it a little bit of credibility in the mind of the American. So he's got a double-barreled name. And uh, he, he was the guy that uh, when, when they were... Uh, trying to take Mosul, after ISIS had took, taken Mosul in Iraq, CNN brought this big production out there uh, on the outskirts of the city when the Iraqi army was, with the help of the U.S. Uh, air, airstrikes, were going to retake Mosul, and, um, and they staged this scene. I don't know, they must have paid the guys to come out of their SUVs, these Iraqi guys, to shoot their machine guns in front of the camera. Looks like they were attacking ISIS, but... I spoke to somebody who was there, who I was actually in Iraq with, um, another reporter, who was very familiar with with that uh, period and where the media was at that time. And they said that they they weren't anywhere near uh, the front line uh, when they shot that. That was all staged. But that's basically what people like him and CNN do in, in Syria or in Iraq. They stage uh, things for the camera. And then they, they roll it as big breaking news. And then these guys win all sorts of awards for their bravery and courage and, you know, uh, reporting under fire and all the rest of it. Just laundering the reputation through all these journalistic awards. And that's 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 how they that's how the scam pretty much works. So so what's what's going on here with Trump? So why, why is this story coming out now? This is an election story. You have to remember that you have half the National Security Council tried to pull him down with a fake impeachment story with, with the Ukraine. People forget what happened 
that 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 happened in the fall and the winter. It was a complete joke with uh, quid quid pro quo. You got to be kidding me. There was nothing. There was no story there. But yet, all these people lined up from the intelligence services to to fabricate it, and even testified in front of Congress and, and the Senate. Okay, it was a total. It was a wash. It was a failure. Nothing. There was nothing there. They tried to impeach the president, and then before that, it was three years of RussiaGate. The Mueller probe came up a big zero, a donut. So what have they got here? They they're, they're alleging that the Taliban need cash incentives to shoot American soldiers. Are you kidding me? United States has occupied Afghanistan since uh, 2002, bombed it, and then occupied it. It's 2002. That's 18 years. They don't need any cash incentives. The Taliban. And how are they going to? How's Russia going to pay them by by wire transfer? You know, <laughs> no, just wire that into my bank account, or you know, is Putin going to show up with a suitcase full of crisp uh, hundred dollar bills? <laughs> And then hand, hand that out to the uh, the Taliban? you got to be kidding me. So it, 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 the whole story is completely un- unbelievable. And it, what it does is it, it, it does two things. A, it's an election story. So the, the whole point is that Trump is in denial that the Russians were paying terrorists to shoot U.S. troops. So then they're trying to split some of the support that Donald Trump has with active duty military and veterans they're saying you know, he's, he's turning his back on on our our boys on on the military so the, the the intelligence services are and the democratic operatives are trying to do that to put a wedge in there to to hurt damage his credibility uh, as a military president by turning some of the forces against him okay this is one feature of this type of a fake news story um, the second thing is to divert attention from the real story, which was that last year uh, there was an internal a report that was that was uh, it was leaked or declassified. Uh, the Afghan report, internal report, that showed that uh, the U.S. officials, uh, military brass, Joint Chiefs knew that the uh, whole effort was a failure, and they did. They knew that years ago, seven eight years ago. And there was recommendations that maybe you should look at winding it down. It's not working. That, that, that didn't get hardly any coverage at all in the mainstream media. But a fake news story comes is planted by somebody in the intelligence services into the New York Times. And it's wall-to-wall coverage. And, and they turned it into a big drama in 24 hours. So, you know, how much money did we blow uh, trying to subdue uh, Afghanistan and install our puppet governments and occupy a country that's ungovernable. I mean, we d- hundreds of billions probably by now done under a NATO banner, of course, uh, to legitimize it and bring in some other countries to dirty their hands as well, which is what NATO does. And so <laughs> and also just takes away from the, the fact that the, the Afghans are being occupied. So it delegitimizes their resistance to U.S. forces. That's another function of this fake news story. So this is it's a well-crafted little, you know, little thing that they've they've put together and they've injected into, and Charlie Savage writes for the New York Times. I mean, this guy's a beauty. Go look at his Twitter feed. So he, he, he is so, he's so desperate and he's panicking so badly last night that he tweets, 
The Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal have confirmed our reporting. And he gives links to the Post and the Wall Street Journal in his tweet. So he's saying because they've because they, they, they've heard from their sources that this is a thing uh, or they're, they're citing him that they've, quote, confirmed is reporting. Just like Nick Payton Walsh did in CNN. I've t- I spoke to European intelligence officials that said, yes, this is definitely a thing. So what you have here is the Five Eyes, Five Eyes countries. So you have the U.S., Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the, the, the Five Eyes countries. So the Five Eyes countries work together, intelligence sharing, and then other countries are added into that. You have the Seven Eyes, the Nine Eyes, and you have the G7, you have the G20, and you have what's called the Rapid rapid uh, Response Mechanism. And this was launched, I believe, in the summer of 2018. And this is that all messaging with regards to anything foreign policy all, all the, I believe, the G7 countries, yes, G7 countries, all have to be of one mind and one message. Theresa May announced this in her speech in the summer of 2018. Rapid response mechanism. And so th- this is what you see. So other people will chime into the press as well. And then from the integrity initiative, the exposure of that, we now know that there are journal- mainstream journalists who belong to clusters from different countries who also will report or being fed things. It's a very formal structure to write things to, quote, counter the Russian threat. So this is one of the, this looks like one of those stories, but this looks like even higher up the chain than the integrity initiative. This looks like kind of five eyes, uh, G7 rapid response mechanism propaganda. So this, this is definitely an attack on Trump. Uh, in the run-up to election, you can see more of these types of stories. This is just an opening salvo, this one. This is just an opening shot across the bow. There's going to be bigger ones. There's going to be a number. They're lined up. They probably have about half a dozen of these to hit a crescendo right around this second week of October, probably. And then everybody, gentlemen's rules, shut down, shut down the attacks second week of October and then allow people to campaign for two weeks without any any further ado. So that's what you can expect. Wait and watch. Mark my words. This is just an opening salvo. Wait till you see what's coming next. They've got stuff loaded in the chamber, ready to fire out like this, but bigger. And I think it's going to get wackier. It's going to get a lot wackier. Remember the Steele dossier? That bit, bit of fiction that was created by Christopher Steele and then laundered through all of these other different, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, organizations, Fusion GPS, the Clinton campaign, and all that. That's just gives you a, a taste of what these people are capable of in terms of inventing things uh, in the run-up to the election. So that's uh, unfortunate. Now, before we uh, connect our, our roving correspondent for culture and sport, I also want to point out a disturbing story from the U.S. Now, a lot of people are... You know, concerned about the prospect of mandatory vaccinations, uh, having to take a COVID vaccine. We're hearing a lot about this. Well, your fears are well warranted. Okay, a major university uh, in the United States, one of the biggest, in fact, in the whole country, the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, has now announced that it 
it's requiring students to re- and faculty to receive both the flu jab and the COVID vaccine. Hasn't even been uh, launched yet, but they're still going to require it in order to enter campus again. So they've all gone virtual, distance learning during the quote crisis in the over the last couple of months. And then when the academic year resumes in the fall, in order to be allowed access on campus, that's it, living in dorms, going to classes, using sports facilities, attending events, all of that, you're going to have to get not one, but two vaccines. That's just for starters, okay? Those are the first two, the flu shot and the COVID-19 shot. And uh, this is disturbing on a number of levels. I mean, first of all, let's start with the flu shot. The flu shot hasn't exactly been a success since it was launched in the early 90s. Uh, Flu fatalities have not disappeared. In fact, they've gone up in recent years. So it's it's widely accepted by uh, most medical experts who are honest will say that, yeah, they they design this uh, flu shot every season. They pick out a couple of what they call likely strains. And, of course, the flu strains every year mutate so quickly uh, the vaccine is uh, more or less obsolete for most people. But there's a big campaign, marketing campaign, propaganda campaign behind it, and people being pelted with uh, requests to get a flu shot all the time on the loudspeakers at CVS pharmacies or whatever. They're even offering it for free sometimes just to get people on board. They get paid, of course, for every one they sell. But doctors are pushing it and everything. It, does, it doesn't necessarily work. In fact, there's, there is evidence to suggest uh, there's a number of studies out there, papers. Uh, we can cite many if we had a time. That, that's another show, not one that I don't know if I, I'm going to bother doing. But go ahead and look at uh, the dangers of flu shots. You can look online. There's a number of studies in fact, there's even one study recently that says that uh, uh, in terms of military personnel, there's a, a potentially a high incidence of COVID from those soldiers who received the seasonal flu shot. They found an uh, increased correlation there. So is that is that the case? Well, more studies need to be done, of course. But nonetheless, uh, there is a lot of... Uh, problems with the flu shot, the coronavirus, there's never been a coronavirus vaccine in history. You'd think they would have invented it by now. They haven't. But people think that just because they're pumping tens of millions of, tens of billions of dollars into the development of this because Bill Gates is throwing billions of dollars behind it that, and they're fast-tracking it, they're rushing the development of a coronavirus vaccine, that somehow that means automatically it's going to work. This isn't like building an iPhone. Or a Tesla car. You're dealing with the human body. In fact, you're dealing with 7 billion different unique human bodies. And they're trying to make a one-size-fits-all vaccine work for everybody. And I'm going to tell you that's uh, an approach that is bound to fail. In fact, there's a a lot of evidence to suggest historically uh, that if you rush the development of vaccines, it's going to be a disaster. And uh, we've linked to that in our story uh, at 21stCenturyWire.com about the U.S. University requiring both flu and COVID vaccines for students to enter campus. Go ahead and check that article. Very important article. Please share it across social media. I've been banned by Facebook from sharing. Again, I'm on a kind of rolling ban. A lot of people know about this. 
So I can't really share it to groups, but uh, take this article, share it in all the COVID groups. Go on to Facebook, look for the active groups, share it there. It's very important that people know this is not a theoretical thing. Why is this dangerous? Okay, not only are you are you forcing young people who are completely healthy, who aren't who aren't at, at any specific risk of catching COVID in that age bracket, overwhelmingly overwhelming majority of of hospitalizations for COVID are one single demographic which is plus 75 years old with multiple long-term chronic health conditions. Multiple. That's according to everyone's data in every country. But the U.S. population has been so brainwashed. People have become so scared and so brainwashed by this new abnormal narrative that they, they believed from the beginning, and they still believe many of them, that everybody is at risk of COVID and that COVID is everywhere all the time. And right now you see a lot of fear mongering in the U S about a second wave and there's surging cases, spikes in cases, 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 cases. When you see the word cases, you know, it's propaganda. And I'll tell you why, because what, the, what they don't want to talk about and what they haven't been doing from the beginning, they haven't been doing antibody testing to see who's already had the, dis, the, the, the infection. Because the majority of the people, of course, show no symptoms. They're asymptomatic. Some, and, and many of those who do have symptoms, they'll be mild symptoms, just like ring-ring, just like the common cold, or just like the flu. Okay? So no hospitalizations. And, and the majority of, of the elderly who are in that at-risk demographic are, are overwhelmingly uh, living in nursing and care homes. So to, to say that this was ever a threat to the general population is a lie. It's a total lie. Now, it's understandable that people were paranoid and scared with the numbers that were being pushed out, 3.4% death rate uh, from the World Health Organization was pushing that lie out. China was also pushing that first. Okay. And so they adopted all of their responses based on fake, uh, really, I, I'm going to say f fake data. It was real data, but it was being presented, uh, it wasn't showing it in context. What they should have done, the real data would have been to immediately deploy uh, teams to take uh, random sampling of serology across the U.S. to find out who has been infected and start working out ratios for infection fatality rate. They didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? Because the more uh, data you get from serological testing, and, and of course the more uh, positives you find, the people who've had it or have it, and, and quickly the infection fatality rate drops. It gets lower and lower and lower. And the reason the government has not been doing this is because they don't want to be able to go to the public and say that, oh, we're sorry, but, you know, the, the infection fatality rate for COVID is much lower than the seasonal flu and way lower than tuberculosis and all these other things. So then the public are going to be thinking, well, if it's, not, you know, it's, if it's not high on that threat list to the general public, then why are we being told that the economy needs to shut down? Why are they rearranging our lives? Why are they turning our lives into a social distancing hell? 
if it's not in the t- you know in the top tier of threats. That's why the conversation is being intentionally diverted by politicians, by the media, by people like uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's being intentionally diverted away from real data, and they want you to focus on the faux data, which is, oh, my God, we found a spike in cases in this city, an outbreak. So you think, oh, there's an outbreak here, an outbreak there. We need to reshut down again. We need to lock down again. So this merry-go-round never ends if you're on that mindset, if you're pushing out faux data. Cases mean nothing. Cases are not a reliable guide to know what's going on uh, with regards to the spread or the threat from COVID-19. And so we, we follow the work of uh, you know top epidemiologists. We've republished a few interviews again recently. Uh, Dr. Sunetra Gupta from Oxford, one of the leading epidemiologists and voices of reason in this, but you don't see her on the BBC. They won't have people like that on very often, if if at all, because of what they're saying is exactly the opposite of what governments are saying. But what they're saying reflects reality, reflects the real data. So they're, they're, what they're attempting to do is hold a gun to the public's head saying, we're going to lock down at a moment's notice if we think there's an outbreak or threat of cases. So what if there's cases? What are the cases doing to anybody? Nothing. Nothing. In fact, it's more likely that the virus will reduce in its uh, virulency over time. Other doctors have said that very thing in in the press. Uh, in the last week. So, but but still, the government, the media, all the people who've jumped on this, the COVID gravy train, big pharma, they're all making an incredible amount of money. All the online businesses, the Amazon.coms, the Googles, the Facebooks, they love it. They've, they've, they've stuck COVID-19 at the top of your search bar on, on every single platform. YouTube, Google, you can't, everywhere you go, COVID-19, COVID-19. This is a massive gravy train. Everybody's cashing in on it. There's whole, there's whole new career fields constructed around this, uh, quote, pandemic. It's not a pandemic. It might be an epidemic in certain places, like New York City, right? Or like the Lombardy province in northern Italy and a few other places, Wuhan and can name a couple of others. Belgium seems to have a little bit of a train wreck going on there. Uh, but in terms of the United States, there's only there's only a couple of places, and that's the overwhelming majority of everything going on, really, in terms of deaths. Leading doctors saying the only real reliable statistic that's meaningful are hospitalizations and deaths, not cases. It's not me saying that. That's what the top epidemiologists are saying. But the media is not saying that. The media is saying cases, cases, cases. Test, test, test. Keep testing, more cases. Of course, they're not telling you that the infection, fatality rate, the odds of being hospitalized are getting lower and lower and lower with every new case. They're not telling you that. Instead, they're saying you need to be vaccinated. Mandatory vaccines to go to school, to college. This is dangerous because... It doesn't end there. That's for not just students, but faculty, staff, 
contractors, other universities who want to join in sports competitions. Think about this. Think about this. Anyone interacting with that institution, the town which the institution resides in, uh, a, a university like Tennessee with 44,000 students or whatever they have, 50,000 students, I don't know. That, that is the you know, fulcrum of the economy in, in that city, in that, in that area. So anybody who's interacting, they might have to be vaccinated as well with this uh, worthless flu shot and this experimental COVID-19 vaccine. Panacea, allegedly. And, and then, so what, the city? This, you need a normalization of policy between institutions, then with the city. And if the city goes that way, then the state. And if the state goes that way, then other states are going to have to go that way too. And next thing you know, it's national. And it doesn't stop with national. Once a country goes in that direction, and then if the, anyone from that country wants to interact with another country, then it becomes international. And this is how it starts, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why this is an important story. you got to pay attention now because it's coming fast. If you're not paying attention now, it's going to hit you like a freight train and it's too late. So I implore people to get engaged on this issue, get informed on this issue intelligently, get the right arguments, get the bulletproof arguments, get the studies, get the peer-reviewed studies, put it together and start sharing it and talking about it. Because I, I, I'll tell you right now, the people who are pushing this, they're not, none of it's based on science. It's all based on fear and hype and propaganda. You can, you can absolutely see that and how it's being rolled out. So no time to waste. Do it now. Check out that article at 21st Century Wire and start digging and start sharing, start talking now. We're going to take a short commercial break. And we're going to connect with Basil Valentine, our roving correspondent for culture and sport. On the other side, we'll be right back. Ever since I was a young boy. 